On a near-freezing Black Friday night in 2000, Lavelle Edwards coached his last game. The Cougars were up against their arch-rival, the Utah Utes in Salt Lake City. There's 104 on the clock. BYU is down 27-26, and it's 4th and 13. It's looking like Lavelle's tenure will close with a loss to his dear friend, Ron McBride. Then quarterback Brandon Doman takes a snap. Doman lets it go, and it is caught at midfield. Jonathan Pittman makes the catch, and the Cougars are still alive at 34 yards. And three plays later... Rolling to the right side, he's going to keep it, he's at the five, the three, is he in there, touchdown! One final miracle win to close out Lavelle's three-decade career. Lavelle was nearly 70 years old when he stepped back. He was respected and revered. His retirement was a significant loss to the BYU community, to all of Utah, and to all of college football. But Lavelle's glory days, the 70s and 80s, were long over. Maybe new leadership would be a good thing. On today's episode, we bring you Life After Lavelle. It's the start of the 21st century. A decade that began with a bang, became mired in scandal, and ended with a curse. Finding a new BYU head coach is a unique effort. Coaches are always LDS church members, so the pool is relatively small. As time rolled on, it became apparent that the front runner was Chicago Bears offensive quarterback Gary Croton. Croton had the resume and this was his dream job. A native of Happy Valley and a proponent of throwing the ball, Croton seemed like the natural choice. After a long, drawn-out search, BYU alum and Orem, Utah-born Gary Croton was offered the job, the man to replace Lavelle Edwards. I'm very excited, obviously. I'm from this area and uh, graduated from here, and and uh, it's been a long road getting back here. You know, I've been out of the state for 15 years, and it, it feels good to be back. I remember hearing about Gary Croton when I was a kid. I remember watching him on TV with my dad when he was coach at Louisiana Tech. He was an absolute wizard of offensive football. In his first season as offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears, his offense was third in passing and seventh in total yards. The Bears' best offensive numbers in seven years. His formations were distinct. He did unconventional things, experimental things. He was a lot like Lavelle in that way. So when he was hired, I was hyped. Croton's first game was off the walls. Well, for first-year BYU head coach Gary Croton, it would be the perfect way that he would draw it up. The butterflies are gone. They put more than enough points on the board. He's feeling good about himself. BYU scored 70 points that game. It's almost embarrassing. Croton's first season was incredible. 12 games, 12 wins. BYU hadn't started a season 12-0 since the 1984 National Championship. Fans in Provo were going wild. But then it came crashing down. Oh! Now we see it. Oh, I hate that. Anyone sitting at home with sprained ankles, you just you feel it when that happens. He'll probably be out three to five weeks. It's a, the fibula on his uh, left leg, I mm-hmm. think, and... and uh, Um, hopefully he'll be back for the bowl game. 
After Luke Staley's injury, the good times never returned. In Croton's second season, his all-star offense had graduated. Other teams had decrypted his creative offenses. The losses started piling up. Then off-the-field scandals started piling up, too. Three BYU football players were charged with sexual assault. The allegations rattled everyone in the BYU football community, including legendary coach Lavelle Edwards. You have two or three kids that have a, a, a problem, and then all of a sudden the whole program, you know, and when something like this does happen, it, it's a major news story. And, uh, and it was a very, if, if it is true, I don't know. We still don't know what really happened, but... Uh, The charges were later cleared, but the players were kicked off the team for honor code violations. With all the losses and scandals rocking the program, the temperature on Croton's seat as head coach was scorching hot. But a bright spot on that season was John Beck. He was a freshman in 2003 and the epitome of the BYU student-athlete. He grew up listening to BYU games on the radio in his Mesa, Arizona home as a kid. Crowen always believed Beck was capable of becoming a great BYU quarterback. Beck was coming off a two-year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He was soft-spoken and kind. Once at a game press conference, he shed some tears. Last time Air Force won in Provo, 1982. But that all changed yesterday as the Falcons scored two late TDs to beat BYU 24-10. I hate so bad that I, I think about every play that wasn't a completion. Beck's tears were not received well. People said he didn't have the it factor that makes a great BYU quarterback. We'll get back to Beck in a bit. After three consecutive losing seasons and off-the-field scandals, Croton was forced out in 2004. In the wake of Croton's shameful exit, BYU hired an individual from Croton's coaching tree. Bronco Mendenhall. BYU ended up going with Mendenhall mainly due to BYU's defensive players making a plea to hire him, including linebacker Cameron the General Jensen. I think their coaching styles are a lot different. Uh, there's going to be a, it's going to be a lot more disciplined, I think, just because it's effort based. There's going to be a lot a higher standard set on both sides of the ball. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of flying around, a lot of intensity, and uh, I just can't wait for spring ball to see how it will turn out and just to start playing again. Bronco was young, only in his 30s. He was tall, blonde-haired, and blue-eyed. Unlike most coaches, he was a self-identified introvert. He'd previously worked as a defensive coach. But consider the symbolism. Coming off Croton, BYU was in defense mode for sure. I intend to expand on the work that Coach Croton did, not erase it. I think with Coach, he made tremendous inroads and... I looked uh, to him as a mentor and looked to continue and accelerate the pace for us to return to uh, the level we need to play at. That means dominant in the Mountain West Conference. That means uh, performing on a national level on a consistent basis. Uh, That's the charge that I have. Bronco was cerebral. He was more interested in leadership, literature, and history than the actual game of football. In 2005, he inherited a team surrounded by scandal. So he does a 180 on the team optics. And what I expect to happen now is through extreme demand, through exact accountability, through performance expectations that are consistent every day, there'll be an execution that will happen with this football team that will result in us being where we're supposed to be. 
While all former BYU coaches were church members, most didn't put religion front and center in their leadership. Mendenhall took a different approach. He talked about the Spirit and BYU's connection to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He used Book of Mormon stories about Captain Moroni and 2,000 stripling warriors when talking to boosters or potential recruits about his program. Building with the foundation led by the Spirit, doing the right things, the right time, with the right people. All those In a press conference that seemed more like a spiritual motivation seminar, Bronco Mendenhall explained how his recruiting will help keep honor in BYU's honor code. Recruiting the right character, the right young man that will represent BYU, and then filling uh, the athletic ability after that. In his first season, Bronco started like Croton's last three years ended. A lot of losing. The Bronco Mendenhall era is off and running in Provo. The change was obvious right away from the new uniforms to the pregame New Zealand haka dance. After a 1 and 3 start that included BYU fans booing Mendenhall in his first game as coach, the Cougars were set to play New Mexico and Albuquerque. The Lobos were a pretty obscure team at the time, but they were doing better than BYU. BYU was the underdog. It was the Friday night before the game, and Bronco had his players go to church. And Mendenhall starts preaching about Jesus and the gospel. He held a fireside the night before the game. The next day... Rallying this team back. Pressure now, out route. And there he goes! Touchdown, Matt Allen! Did he get in? Yes! The Cougars have come back to take the lead here in Albuquerque. Cougars are about to complete a remarkable comeback on the road in what would be Bronco Mendenhall's first win over a Division I program. It was a breakthrough win. It's not the biggest win in BYU history, but it was significant to Bronco and his program. Taking the cue, Bronco makes the fireside chants a ritual before every game. He connects with local churches, preaches the gospel, goes out and plays the next day. He even went to the Utah State Prison to uplift incarcerated inmates the night before games. Most college football players would talk X's and O's in their hotel room on a Friday night before a big game. These guys talked about some of the hardest moments of their lives before a group of men who know hard times. One thing that really kept me going was my friends and my family. They joined the inmates in song. For a short time, they were Brothers United, wearing different uniforms. And the inmates soaked it up. Any tools that, that you might be able to help us with? There were few questions about Saturday's opponent. Inmates wanted life advice. I'm Adam Pulsifer. I'm a freshman linebacker. And just like many of you, you know, I go through struggles. This is the fifth year BYU's held a Friday fireside at the prison. Coach Bronco Menenhall says he likes what he gets out of it. Anything that I could possibly do in the role of BYU's head football coach to possibly make one day here a little bit better, it's worth it. Who's to say if it was correlation or causation, but Broncos team started winning. His first season, the Cougars made it to the Las Vegas Bowl. And then in 2006, a breakthrough. The first win against Utah in five years and a Mount West Conference championship. Critical to that win over Utah in 2006 was now senior John Beck, the soft-hearted quarterback who cried at a press conference in 2003 under Croton. Surprise, he did have that it factor. All the time in the world for Beck, can anybody get open for him? 
BYU gets off to a quick start, 14-0 over the Utes. But then adversity hits. With 90 seconds left on the clock, Utah's up 31-27. John Beck takes the field at BYU's 25-yard line, 75 yards to score a touchdown. It's John Beck's last chance to beat Utah. Snap to John. John back pedals. The clock hits zero. The ball is flying. Throws behind him. It is. Caught for the touchdown! Caught for the touchdown! Caught for the touchdown! Cinematically, it lands softly in the hands of tight end Johnny Harleen. A dramatic rivalry win right at the horn. Final play of the game! Johnny Harleen by himself. And John Beck with a throwback to find him. The play of the year. The play of their careers. John Beck is carried off the field a hero. And if I could pick one play and one place on earth to make it happen in the game, it would have been right here, right now. Beck now works with top NFL players. His name is etched among the greats in BYU history. Broncos next season, the Cougars won 11 games again and another Mount West title, this time with quarterback Max Hall. But Bronco couldn't sustain the streak. In 2008, his approach started to show some cracks. BYU's theme this year is Quest for Perfection. Well, that quest begins four weeks from today when they host Northern Iowa here in Provo. And that quest for perfection ended up being the result for the Utes. There we go. Now they're going to kill it. What a sight. Congratulations to the University of Utah and their coaching staff and their players. Second time in school history they've gotten to 12-0. They'll try to win their eighth straight bowl game in a BCS game. In 2009, BYU fielded another great team. Max Hall's senior year. Cougars opened that season with a win against number three Oklahoma in a Texas-sized game at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Hall. McKay Jacobson is wide open in the back of the end zone. Cougars take the lead 14-13. Upset City. Cougars celebrating the upset of third-ranked Oklahoma 14-13. At the end of that season, one last gasp. Max Hall's final home game, and it's against rival Utah. Second down and 10 for BYU. Four-man rush. Throwing it over the middle. It's caught. Andrew George. Touchdown, BYU. In overtime, one final delivery. Despite Bronco's best efforts to encode civility into his team, Max Hall was a bit of a rebel. He spoke his mind. He was aggressive passionate and he had an ego in the wake of that incredible utah victory max hall spoke his mind depending on who you ask maybe a little too much i don't like utah in fact i hate them i hate everything about them i hate their program i hate their fans i hate everything so it felt really good to send those guys home um they didn't deserve it uh it was our time and it was our time to win we deserved it we played uh as hard as we could tonight and uh, it felt really good again to send them home to get them out of here so um you know, game will always remember. I mean, I think I think their whole I think the whole university and the, their fans and, and the organization is classless. I think you know they throw beer, they threw beer on my family and stuff last year and did a whole bunch of nasty things and I don't respect them and um, you know they deserve they deserve to lose. That rant set in motion what was believed as the Max Hall curse. 
for the next nine meetings, BYU fell to Utah, and each time it was in heartbreaking fashion. There was 2010 with a blocked field goal at the end of the game. Here's Mitch Payne, and it's blocked! It's blocked! Utah got back there, got a call on it, and they will win the game! And 2012, with Utah fans prematurely storming the field, not once, but twice. And it hit the upright. And the game does end. And for a third time, the Utah fans storm the field. It is officially over. Third time is the charm for the fans. And, of course, Broncos' final game in the 2015 Las Vegas Bowl where BYU was down 35-0 before they could even lose their breath in Sin City. Five possessions, five turnovers, lead to five touchdowns. And we've still got four and a half minutes left in the opening quarter. After that Utah loss in Vegas, Bronco left to coach the Virginia Cavaliers. It shocked a lot of fans. I've done my best to align the football program with the values of the church, with the academic uh, standards of this institution, and with the athletic standards. There is only one Brigham Young University that plays football, and this is it. And that requires and asks a completely different standard in so many different areas, and it makes it unique and special and set apart. And that has made it very rewarding. Bronco hit a ceiling at BYU. You see, Bronco's a man that's moved by building. He wants to build things. He had no longer had anything to build at BYU. There were no national championships during his tenure, no Heisman winners, but he became the second winningest coach in BYU history, second only to Lavelle. And he helped build a once proud program back from scandal, being a consistent winner in college football again. Coming up in the next episode of A Century of Cougar Football. BYU's radical idea to abandon conference affiliation and go independent. Whether it's Royal or Navy, we own it because it's BYU Blue. How Kalani Satake helped guide the Cougars into their next era of Cougar football, the Big 12 Conference. A Century of Cougar Football is researched, hosted, and written by me, Mitch Harper. Rachel Miller-Howard also helped with writing and is responsible for audio production and sound design. Mixing by Trent Sell and Rachel Miller-Howard. Special thanks to Madison Hinkhouse and Nathan Dowdle. And executive producer, Cheryl Worsley. A Century of Cougar Football is a KSL podcast.